the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon and welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio. I'm your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. I'm down in San Jose. I'm broadcasting live right now from the beautiful kind of studio in my office here in San Jose. And it's good to be back live on the air. The last couple of shows had to be pre-recorded because of prior commitments, including, sadly enough, a trip to Chicago with my family to see the in-laws and to catch Hamilton. And I'll tell you right now, Hamilton, fantastic musical, and I'm very, very hard on musicals. But this is one that had me humming along, that had me tapping my toes, that had me actually getting heavily involved in the story itself. Very, very well done. Well worth seeing if you get a chance. We saw the uh, cast there in Chicago. They did a fine job. And uh, when it comes back around here to the Bay Area, you you should see if you can get yourself a ticket to go there. Now, I'll be taking calls today if you'd like to call in. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 like the number of the station, 1220-KDOW. And uh, feel free to call in, and my call screener, Marco, will be happy to talk with you and let me know if you have any questions for me. You can also email me at any time at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, radio at lawbob dot com. That's where you can send me questions, comments. You can also request a copy of my California Consumer Guide to Will's Living Trusts and Estate Planning. Speaking of Living Trusts, I have one of my Living Trust seminars tomorrow morning in my office from 9 o'clock till about 10.30. There's still a few spaces available, so if you'd like to register for that, either shoot me an email, but the better way to make sure you get in is go to Eventbrite. That's event, B-R-I-T-E dot com, and search for the Living Trust Seminar, and you'll find it right away. You can register right through there. Make sure you get one of the few spots that are left. Now, for the past month or so, I've been going over a number of different issues that have come up with people around the state of California. I have found that sometimes I see questions from people that are pretty much the same, but other times... New issues come up, and I'd like to share some more of those with you today because what I have found is the more I share stories with people in different contexts, the more likely it is that they're going to hear something that applies to them 
or applies to someone in their family or something that a friend is going through. So with that in mind, let's move on to some of the new issues and topics of today. Here's one that actually, interestingly enough, kind of provides uh, or actually is similar to a situation I'm dealing with right now for a client. This person wanted to know, could I create a trust where my wife can continue living in my home, the home that was purchased before marriage, if I die first? And can she live there, but also can it prevent her from giving her children any benefits from my estate so that eventually when she passes away, it will go on to the heirs I intended to go to, in this case, uh, the nieces. Now, normally if you leave something like a house to your spouse, if you leave it directly to them, you completely lose control at that point about what happens to it when that spouse passes on later on. But it's possible to pass the property in trust to the spouse It could either be what's called a bypass trust or what's called a marital Q-tip trust. Without explaining the differences, suffice it to say that both of those types of trusts can provide for the spouse to live in the property, to get the use of the property during lifetime, and then pass it on to whomever you wish it to go to. I would suggest, though, that A trust like this, if it's set up for the spouse and you're concerned about them potentially misusing the property in some way, such as selling it because they're the trustee in charge and then taking the money and spending it on other things, which was not the intention, then you might want to consider actually having a third-party trustee, someone that's independent of the family, that's actually in charge of that trust. Probably also want to make sure that you put in some assets in that trust to provide for that surviving spouse unless you make a requirement that the surviving spouse pay for things like the taxes and insurance, any mortgage, maintenance, utilities, things like that. So that is something to consider right there um, is you can actually set up property in such a way that a spouse could use it, but then it passes on to your intended beneficiaries when the spouse dies. Now, here's someone right here whose uh, parent passed away, looks like about six weeks ago. The parent had a trust, this person's beneficiary, but the brother, who is the person in charge of mom's trust, is not speaking to this beneficiary. Wants to know, how do I get a copy of the trust? Well, first of all, let's just say that whoever is the successor trustee of a trust who takes over the trust when someone dies they actually have to notify all the beneficiaries of that trust and they have to provide them the opportunity to get a copy of the trust sent to them. Uh, if, If someone doesn't get around to ever doing that, that trustee who's in charge of doing that can be liable for any damages that flow from the failure to actually provide that trust in a timely fashion. So in this case, if the person sends a letter off to the brother and says, when can I expect to see a copy of the trust, that at least puts the brother on notice that he has a requirement to provide that. So that's something to keep in mind. If you're faced with a situation like that, feel free to give me a call at 408 and I'll kind of talk you through what you need to do. Now, if the trust, if the trustee is not willing to provide a copy of the trust, you may have no court, uh, no um, 
you may have no alternative, excuse me, rather than uh, go to court in order to uh, get a copy of that trust and maybe have the brother removed as the trustee. So in a similar fashion, uh, yeah, here, someone wanted to know, hey, um, how can I find a copy of the trust that my mother signed just before she died? Is it recorded somewhere? Well, generally, trusts are not recorded anywhere because they're not recorded anywhere. You have to rely on getting them from the successor trustee who's in charge of it now. In fact, you can't even really go back to the attorney that drafted the trust because the attorney has a duty of loyalty originally to the client and then to whoever is the successor trustee of the trust. So that person can't just provide you a copy of the trust. They don't have the authority to do that. So that's something to keep in mind, too. Here someone was asking um, about um, mother just died. There's an estate going through probate down in Los Angeles. Mom didn't have a will. Uh, actually, um, excuse me, mom had a will but didn't name anybody to handle things in the will. This person's also a beneficiary. Now, there's a sibling that's petitioned the court to become the personal representative or administrator of the estate. And this person wanted to know, hey, if my sister becomes that personal representative, they actually are entitled to get paid from the estate for acting in that job. Now, isn't that excessively profiting from the estate over and above the other heirs who are receiving shares? The short answer to that is it's statutory, it's provided for by the law, and it's basically to pay that person to act administering the probate estate and doing all the things that need to be done. And I bring that up because sometimes people people don't want to be the personal representative. They can also waive that if they don't want to take money to do job. So when we come back from the break, I'm going to continue on with some more questions and comments from people around the state of California. So this is attorney Bob Bergman. I'll talk with you after the break on Plan Your Estate Radio. Let's face it. we love a- This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, I'm back. Um, hope you had a good time during the break. Had a chance to get some water like I did. <clears throat> Seemed to have a little frog in my throat. Hopefully it won't turn into a prince while I'm broadcasting because that could get really embarrassing really fast. If you'd like to give me a call, it's 800-516-1220. I will take calls on the air, but until that happens, I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Here's someone actually from my backyard who uh, actually has a property that he inherited along with his brother from their mother many, many years ago. And now the brother wants to move and sell his half of the property because he's having a hard time uh, paying bills and things like that. And the question is, can my brother force me to buy him out or sell my share? Well, the first instance, there's no way the brother can force this person to buy him out. Uh, you can't force someone to buy your half of a property, even if the other person owns the other half of the property. But he can force this person to sell his share. 
uh, what would be involved is an actual court action uh, if if this person does not voluntarily wish to sell his half of the property along with the brother selling his half of the property all at the same time, then the brother can go to court and file what's called a partition action, which is a legal action requesting that the court order the property to be sold so that the brother can get his share of the equity and the proceeds out of the house. Um, so there's pretty much no way to stop that. Um, if the property was held in a trust and had restrictions of some kind on it, maybe it would be. But in this case, there's really no way to stop that. Here's someone in Southern California who's the beneficiary of a special needs trust, which means this person is classified as a special needs person. Um, it appears that it's probably a physical disability rather than a mental disability. Otherwise, they likely would not be able to ask the question in the first place. But in this case, it's another brother, <clears throat> brother who is the trustee of this trust and refuses to provide an accounting of what's going on with the special needs trust, which, I mean, hasn't accounted for income coming in, money's paid out, anything like that, and it's been three years. I'll tell you right now, this person is likely going to have to go to court or at least maybe file a court action to get his brother to comply, not only with, I'm sure, the terms of the trust, but also the general trust law to provide accountings on a regular basis and keep the beneficiaries of a trust reasonably informed of activities with the trust. So <clears throat> what this person may end up doing is petitioning the court for an accounting and also to replace his brother as the trustee with perhaps a professional trustee, such as an attorney, uh, an accountant, a licensed fiduciary, or the trust department of a bank or a trust company to actually handle things for him. Now, here's kind of a situation that comes up a lot. I have people saying to me, you know, there's this trust out there. It's an irrevocable trust, and and the person who set it up is still alive. And the question is, I think I'm a beneficiary of this trust. Do I have a right to get a copy of that trust or find out what's in there before the time that it actually becomes irrevocable? Well, the short answer is you don't really have a right to receive a copy of an irrevocable trust if it is taking care of someone who's still alive and you're actually what's called the remainder beneficiary or contingent beneficiary. Your rights to receive copies of anything really only are triggered when you are actually going to be um, a current beneficiary or you're, you're known to be a remainder beneficiary because that is now fixed in place. That more typically happens when someone has a revocable trust and then they die and it becomes irrevocable. At that time, all the beneficiaries would be entitled to see a copy of the trust to see what it actually says. <clears throat> Here's a good one dealing with uh, IRAs. Now, when someone inherits an IRA from a parent, for example, um, that can be called an inherited IRA. Inherited IRAs I've talked about extensively on other shows 
and I actually do a whole presentation on inherited IRAs and planning for retirement plan assets. You can see that in my office when I hold it here, or you can go to my YouTube channel, The Law Offices of Robert P. Bergman, where you can find my seminar up there as well. But here the question is, um, my mother-in-law, when she passes, will my wife receive these IRAs that she has? They're actually in the name of her deceased husband, which suggests that those uh, may actually be rollover IRAs that the mother-in-law has right now. They could be inherited IRAs. So the question is this. I'm going to be 59 and a half soon. Assuming I don't withdraw any money before that age, is the money taken out of those accounts taxable? And does the answer vary depending on what we use the money for? Well, let's talk about that. First of all, if it's an inherited IRA, the 59 and a half years of age, which is the normal age for a non-penalty withdrawal from a retirement plan, that only applies when it's your own retirement plan. It does not apply to an inherited IRA. In fact, you actually have to take minimum distributions out of an inherited IRA the first year that you're the beneficiary of that. So that's completely different from the retirement plan you may have for yourself. And the money is taxable when it comes out of the of the inherited IRA. It doesn't matter what it's used for. The only type of inherited IRA where it would not be taxable if you inherited a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k that's now an inherited IRA. That money comes out tax-free. Another little twist to this is that you can take out additional monies from an inherited IRA without the 10% tax penalty that would apply if you took money out of your own retirement plan before age 59 and a half. So there's a lot of different rules with inherited IRAs, and don't assume that they're the same as the IRA that you have or the 401k plan that you have. Like I said, I have a whole seminar up on my YouTube channel, Law Offices of Robert P. Bergman. You can go, you can download that or watch it, see the special planning that can be done for retirement plan assets, and exactly how qualified retirement plans are different from inherited IRAs. Uh, I use the example of a duck versus a platypus. Now you're curious, I'll bet. If you want to find out just what that means, you're going to have to come to one of my live seminars or you're going to have to watch my seminar up there on YouTube. Now, when I come back after the break, I'm going to be covering more of these situations right here, more of these questions and comments that people are putting all over the state wanting to know just what to do with various situations they're faced in their lives and their families' lives. So after the break, we're going to continue with more of Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk to you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Welcome back. This is Bob Bergman with Plan Your Estate Radio. Before the break, I was talking about a number of different questions and comments that I've seen from around the state. And here's one, actually, that um, I think you'll find pretty interesting because 
it raises an issue that often occurs even when people have actually created revocable living trusts to hold their assets uh, to avoid conservatorship if they become disabled and to avoid probate at death. In this particular situation, um, this person's writing on behalf of their mother, so we'll call her mom. Well, mom's mom or grandma passed away several years ago. This looks like six years ago. And mom recently found out that there were two stocks in grandma's name that didn't have any kind of beneficiary on them. And they were not retitled into the name of grandma's trust. And as I just said, it's been several years. And so they just discovered these these assets here. And the key is they're valued at more than $150,000. Now, keep that, do- that dollar amount in your mind. Person want to know, how is it that they read in one place, a revocable living trust does not need to go through probate? That's true. should say assets in a revocable living trust do not need to go through probate. But now the uh, people holding on to the stock, which presumably is either the company that issued the stock or it's a brokerage account, said mom needs letters testamentary from the probate court stating that mom and mom's daughter are the legal executors of grandma's will. Okay, so uh, plus also they want a medallion signature guarantee to transfer the stock. So let's break these two things down. First thing, medallion signature guarantee. This is a specific, excuse me, straight my teeth there. This is a specific program where you can usually find at banks, sometimes brokerages, things like that, where it's a special program where someone who has the medallion stamp can actually certify in writing that the person signing a transfer document is, in fact, the person signing the transfer document. It is more intensive than a notary, where a notary just signs that, yes, this person acknowledged signing this document, and they provided me some written proof of who they are, but I'm not actually certifying that that person is, in fact, the person that signed or that they didn't give me forged documents, the medallion signature guarantee is this is, in fact, the person signing, and the person stamping it to that effect is standing behind that and agrees to be liable if it turns out that the person is not the person signing. So that's the first thing. But the other thing, the reason why they have to take some court action is because there's more than $150,000 of property in grandma's name. There's a part of the probate code that states if you have less than $150,000 of property in someone's individual name when they die, then it's possible to take over those assets using an affidavit of small estate value. It's something specifically in the probate code, and it's used for smaller estates, or it's used for trusts where maybe someone had a personal checking account or they had a small brokerage account or something like that, and they never titled it into the name of their trust, but it's well under the $150,000. Here, what's going to happen is going to really depend on where you are in California. These people are in Los Angeles, 
and they're likely going to find that they have to file grandma's will with the probate court in Los Angeles because the will's probably going to say, turn everything over to my trust that has to go through probate. So they're going to have to take this stock and go through the probate process. And part of that will will be getting these letters testamentary from the court, which enables them to have the stock transferred to the estate, to grandma's estate, and then eventually transferred out to grandma's trust so that it can be distributed. Now, some counties will let you do what's called a Hegstat petition. I think in Los Angeles County, you could do that as well. That would be another way to do this. It might be faster, maybe not, might be more expensive, might be less expensive. But a Hegstat petition basically says, here's property the person owned, and here's their trust that they set up. And if we can provide some documentary proof of the intent that that property be in the trust, then the court can sign an order declaring it to be in the trust. Now, many counties will require that there be a schedule of assets or that it be named in the trust or something like that. In those counties, having a special will called a pour-over will will not be sufficient to get that property into the trust without going through the whole probate process. I'm happy to say in Santa Clara County, where I practice, having just a pour-over will would be sufficient for mom to get grandma's stock into grandma's trust. It could be done through the court system. And not only that, it could be done without a formal court hearing, what's called ex parte, E-X-P-A-R-T-E, which means a petition submitted directly to the judge through the court's attorney called the probate examiner, and the judge considers it and then signs an order saying, yep, grandma's stock is intended and should be intended to be in her trust. Her poor of her will says so. So that is a pretty long explanation for a very common situation that arises here in California. Now, here's one. Mom wants to put her son on the deed of her house because in case she's deceased, she wants the house to pass to her son. So what kind of deed should she use? Well, there is a type of deed that can be used called a transfer on death deed, which basically says, here's my house. When I die, I want title to transfer to this person or these people. The transfer on death deed is a new thing the legislature put in. It's in temporarily right now while they are doing a pilot program to see how it works. They're asking for feedback from attorneys such as myself on whether we think it's a good idea or a bad idea. Personally, I think it's a bad idea because all of the potential abuses that someone could be put through to induce someone to put them on the title as transfer on death and then mom dies and maybe son who induced mom to put him on the title, he immediately takes over the property and transfers it or sells it before the siblings even know what happened. They're assuming that it's going to go through probate and it's going to be divided equally, but instead an end run was done in a very maybe sneaky fashion. So I think the better thing is not to use a deed at all, but mom should put her house into a living trust that names the son as the beneficiary. 
That way, by the way, mom can also identify who does the house go to if for some reason her son does not survive her. And I'll tell you, in my own family, I have had four first cousins that all passed away in their 40s before their parents. So in case you are one of those people who believes that parents are always going to die before their children, that is not, in fact, the case. Disease, illness, accidents, active war zone, people in the military, many, many people die before their parents. So don't rely on just leaving it to your child that way. Use a trust so that you can have alternate beneficiaries if the person you want it to go to is not alive at the time. Also use a trust that at least has some standby provisions in it for supplemental needs if the person you name turns out to be a special needs person at the time you die because then you don't want that property to go directly to them because if it does that, it's likely to destroy any kind of benefits that they may be eligible to receive from the government. That could be their health care through Medi-Cal. That could be SSI for their income. That could be Section 8 housing for the place they live. It could even lose them the ability to be in a program that helps them with their specific disability because they now have assets and they're no longer eligible for that program. So right there, I think that simple question, I think, had a fairly detailed answer. And if that applies to you, consider coming in, um, coming in and seeing me. I don't charge for consultations. You can visit my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. There's a booking link for an estate planning consultation. If you have one of those situations where people have the property that's outside of the trust and should have been in the trust, you can book a trust administration consultation. That'll kind of get you to the same place. We can talk about that. So um, here's uh, here. I'll get one more before the break, which is coming up soon here. Here's someone. Uh, this is a good one. Husband and wife are on a non-immigrant visa and their son was born here. That makes their son a U.S. citizen under U.S. law. They want the custody of the child to remain with either of the grandparents. Now they want to know what would happen if they don't have a will. Well, first of all, if the grandparents are not here, there's going to be issues with whether or not they can just come and take custody of a grandchild who is born here. Probably more importantly, the court's just going to decide who will be the guardian of that child and maybe without regard to the specific wishes of these parents. So they need to at least do a will and probably need to do a trust as well. I'm going to continue after the break with the last segment of our show today. If you'd like to call after the break, it's 800-516-1220. You can also email me at radio at lawbob. So talk to you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Well, I'm back. This is the final segment of our show today, and I hope you've found it uh, educational and a little bit entertaining as well. I'm going to cover a few more things 
before we sign off for the day and all start our weekends. I will mention, as I did at the beginning, that I do actually have a Living Trust seminar in my office here in San Jose tomorrow morning at, uh, starting at 9 o'clock, going till about 10.30 or 10.45. You can go to my website at lawbob.com and look at the link at the top of the, the banner for the live uh, Living Trust seminars. Click on that link and I'll take you through where you can... Uh, Find it on my calendar and select it, and that will take you into Eventbrite where you can register for the seminar. Space is limited, so if you'd like to come, I urge you to do that right away. And uh, I'll be watching to see who registers, and that'll tell me maybe that you are listening to the show today, which would be great. Now, we've got a few more topics to cover before we wrap up today. So, First one right here. This is an excellent one. This actually comes up a lot when people end up being on the receiving end of a probate. In this case, a person said, uh, Mom passed away in February of this year. So by my calculations, that is about five months ago. Um, The estate, as far as anyone can tell, is not complicated. The... uh, Beneficiaries or heirs of the estate have asked, but they've been given very little information from the executor. Now, here they said the executor of the trust. So I'm not quite sure from the question whether they're talking about mom had a will or whether they said mom had a trust. Because if there's a trust involved, the person's not called the executor. That's person named in a will. Instead, the person is the trustee or successor trustee. So if there's a trust involved, the trustee has a requirement to send out a notice to all of the beneficiaries of the trust, giving them an opportunity to request a copy of the terms of the trust. And uh, and that notice would typically give a time period of about 120 days to object to things. So if it's been five months already, the trustee is really kind of falling down on, on the job here. That kind of notice should have probably gone out within 30 days after the person died and the trustee took over. Uh, at least in my practice, that's what I typically do, because I want to start the time period running for anyone who might object to the trust in some way to give them a short amount of time to file their objections, after which they're no longer allowed to object. If this is an actual will rather than a trust, then that means the probate probably just got started and it has several months more to go before it could be wrapped up. So the question itself is it's not real clear whether there's a will or a trust based on the terminology, but I kind of assume it's a trust, in which case information should have already been provided to the beneficiaries And it may indicate that the trustee either uh, doesn't care, is not aware of their legal obligations as the trustee, or are hopefully not engaged in some kind of funny business with the trust and is actively concealing it from the beneficiaries. Here's an interesting one right here, because I'm not sure all the background here, but let me share it. Here's someone who said their their disabled son representative payee for the son's SSI benefits. Now, let's explain what that means. The son's disabled, 
but he's disabled to the point where he's getting supplemental security income, which is needs-based income from the government. So a designated payee or representative payee is the person who is entitled to actually receive the funds and handle the funds for the disabled person. Now, the person acting as the payee says, I'm about to get a $20,000 inheritance. Um, I have uh, medical bill debt. I have credit card debt, student loans, all that. I want to take my inheritance and use it to, to pay for my debt. But the person's afraid that no matter what, what, I, what he does, the son's SSI benefits will be disrupted. Um, now, I think this is kind of a, there, there's kind of a misunderstanding going on here. If someone who is a representative payee is receiving an inheritance, their inheritance is not part of the money of the person whose SSI they are handling. Uh, that's completely separate from their own thing. So there shouldn't be any issue for this person. Um, I'm not sure why, um, why they're concerned about that. Now, here's a pretty straightforward one. Someone wanted to know, hey, there's an irrevocable trust. There's two properties that are supposed to go to one person and two properties supposed to go to another person. What documents do I have to submit to put those properties in my name? Well, the trustee of the trust needs to prepare the necessary deeds to transfer the property out of the trust to the ultimate beneficiary. So that's kind of the short answer to that. There's nothing for the beneficiary to fill out and submit for that to happen. It's up to the trustee to take care of that. Now, here's an interesting one. How can I, as trustor of a living trust, prove my testamentary and contractual capacity as well as a lack of duress? Because they anticipate a trust contest. Here's a real quick answer right here. Go to an attorney to review your estate plan and get a certificate of independent review so that you have, and also get a letter from your doctor saying you're mentally competent. That's going to go a long way towards um, removing any possible contest in the future. So I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I'll be talking with you next week, either live or pre-recorded. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your Estate Radio. Goodbye and have a great weekend. Planning seminars, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Are you a response? Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.